broadcasting live out of a basement in Appleton, Wisconsin. You're tuned in to Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio. For the show that gives you an opportunity to call in and be a part of the show. Our call in line is 920-358-0795. Core. My next guest has been involved in the music scene since the 90s. He's a multi-instrumentalist currently based out of Madison, Wisconsin. He re- recently released an EP called All Joy. I'd like to welcome oh, yeah. Steve Baker. Hold that up. <laughs> Here's the album right here. Hey, Andy. How's it going? Excellent. I'm wide awake now. I've, I've had all this coffee and a long drive. So, Yeah, so you're based out of Madison. How long have you been in the Madison area? Uh, moved out there almost, almost nine years ago now. So, yeah, before that, I was in, well, well, I started in Oshkosh and then Fond du Lac and then Kewaskum. I kept moving further south and then uh, ended up moving over to Madison. So, so nine years, I'd consider you a Madisonian at this uh, point. It doesn't feel like it. It's really <laughs> weird because there's two years in there that don't count because, um, you know, everyone was just stuck at home. That was when yeah. we had a global pandemic, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So let's... We're going to talk a lot about the the new EP, which is sure. fantastic. Thank you. But let's kind of talk about three decades, almost, mm. like two and a half. If you want to get yeah, two and a half. That's that's yeah. a, that's a long time to to be in music. So let's kind of go back to like when you got interested in music and sure. when you picked up an instrument. What what yeah, kind of absolutely. instrument you learned? Um, so I think like I don't know if this is like most people. I mean, I learned on guitar um, and. I started playing music um, because I wanted to write music. I always, I kind of considered myself a writer first. Like when I was a kid, I was like, uh, I knew from a pretty young age, well, knew, because I'm not doing it now as like for a living. I'm a, I'm a librarian, which is close to being a writer, but not quite. Um, but anyway, uh, when I was a kid, I was like, I want to be a writer. I'm going to write anything, all kinds of stuff. And I really liked music. Um, I grew up in a pretty musical family, um, mostly surrounded with like church music and, uh, like my mom played piano every week in church and, um, you know, I learned how to sing by sitting next to my aunt who had a real like loud harmony vocals in all the hymns and she would just like, you know, bust out these harmonies. And so I kind of learned just by listening to that. And, um, yeah, so I just, at some point, you know, you get to be a teenager and you get all these surly ideas about, you know, how, uh, how about how terrible life is? So you, you want to write them down? And uh, yeah, so then I picked up a guitar somewhere in there. I was probably like 15 or 16. And um, my dad had an old 12-string guitar that was his when he was a teenager. And I, it probably only had like 10 strings, and they probably hadn't been changed since the 70s. Um, but I kind of taught myself on that, um, playing mostly like um, like folk hymns, like from um, this this summer camp I used to go to when I was a kid. Uh, it was a, it was a, a like a like a church camp, and the it always had like guitar accompaniment. This guy up there with an acoustic guitar, everyone singing along, um, and I was like, yeah, I'm like I want to be that guy someday. Um, actually, I brought I have the, I have this pile of of uh, things here. I'm just gonna show. This is uh, this is the songbook from Northern Grace Youth Camp when I was uh, when I was a kid growing up, and uh, it was like like I said, it's like a bunch of like folk hymns. I mean, this thing this thing is like essentially it's like a zine. It's pretty cool. It's like rusty staples and stuff. But um, anyway, that's kind of so I taught myself how to play using those songs. So you know, like basic folk chords, and then um, just started writing songs pretty much like when I was 16 and haven't really stopped since then. And when was the first time you played out at some point, I'm imagining you decided to get in front of people. I did. So, um, I have a, I have a, I have a twin brother and, uh, our grandpa was a pastor in Madison. So whenever we would go to visit him at his church, he would have us come up to the front and sing songs together. <laughs> um, which <laughs> looking back now, I feel like maybe not the best thing to do to like a little kid, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember it being terrible, you know, they'd be just, well, just sing amazing grace or whatever. And so we'd have to just like stand up there in front of the church and like sort of harmonize with each other. Um, and so that was kind of like my, the first time that I ever like sang in front of people. 
And then people being like, oh, you've got such a nice voice. And then thinking, well, okay, well, I, that's, that's cool. I can do that. So um, that was kind of like my main experience, like growing up was like singing in church. And then um, probably I'm trying to remember the first time I ever played in front of just like normal people. It was probably, you know, it was like somewhere in the like mid nineties or whatever, you know, when everyone was though, everyone in my world was like trying to play you know acoustic rock like nirvana unplugged or whatever um and so yeah i never really picked up an, an electric guitar much it was usually all um acoustic guitar just because i would always sing along so you know it was just the easiest for me um but yeah it was probably somewhere in the like in the mid mid 90s played in, playing in front of people so your your twin brother didn't take the same musical kind of journey that you took he did not yeah unfortunately he well i don't yeah i don't know he um he's a he's a graphic designer so it's a little different kind of art art headspace there um and then i have i have a couple other siblings um and they have all done music um things like that but uh but yeah i was kind of i'm the only one that really stuck with it i guess like through like being this old to the point where i have like a white beard and uh yeah it's it's been it's been it's been a lot of fun did did you ever have a family band put together with we, did, with we didn't we, we we always talked about it and you had the in-house um, like people the whole yeah no time. totally yeah and like my my middle brother um he's a multi-instrumentalist and he plays um you know like a like hard rock metal type stuff but he plays everything he's always he started out on on drums and um, so he did, um, the first Inkwell collective album we recorded in his basement studio and he did like the mixing and the, the production on that. Um, he's, he's always been, he's always been a real big help, um, with like coming out to shows and stuff. Like when he was like a young guy in his twenties and I was a little bit older guy in my older twenties and he would come out and like help me run sound because I'm like, Oh my gosh, we've got an electric guitar and a viola and a cello and a piano and a bass. I don't know. Like, you know, and then Luso would ask him to come up and like help mix it on the fly, like as we were playing. Uh, so that was that was always cool. So you mentioned the Inkwell Collective. When did when did you start that band? Um, I'm trying to remember now. It was like so. The progression was when I when I um, first moved to Oshkosh in like I think it was like 1996 or seven. Um, I was kind of in between things. I had. I'd gone to Bible college uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan for two years and uh, decided I didn't want to do that. And I just really wanted to like come and like learn literature and I wanted to be a, be a, be a writer. Um, so I moved, moved up here because my girlfriend at the time lived here. And so um, I moved up here. I took a year off and just um, worked for a, a, like a building company in the Fox, Fox cities which was actually really awesome. Um, I lived in Oshkosh and I would sometimes take my bike down to, uh, what's it called? Java sphere. Was that a, one of the coffee shops? There was like, there was a coffee shop. Um, and it was the first time I ever saw Aaron bear. He was like, he was walking to this open mic with what I thought was like a violin case. And I'm like, Oh, this guy looks really cool. He's going to bust out this violin. And he opened it up and there was, there was like a, a, a ukulele inside <laughs> and, and I was really taken aback. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, I mean, that was kind of the first time that I realized there was like, Oh, there's like music going on here in Oshkosh. Um, so I had that year where I was mainly working the whole time. Um, and then when I started as a student at UW Oshkosh, um, I met uh, my friend Emily uh, Selk Loper, who plays cello with me, and she's played cello with me for almost 25 years now. Um, she, we were students in the English department at UW Oshkosh, so was Steve McCabe. That's where I first met him. Um, and so I started to kind of like put people together. Um, my friend Kara Westmus, who was like a childhood friend, um, I saw her just by chance on campus one day, she was walking by with, uh, again, what I thought was a violin case, turns out to be a, a, a viola case. And I was like, hey, do you want to be in a band? And she was <laughs> like, I don't know, I've never done that before. Um, so you never even heard her play before you just <laughs> Yeah, no, I just knew like, well, she's on campus, she's on the university campus with a viola, she must be good, right? So 
Um, so she and I started playing together and then I met a drummer, um, through another friend of mine. And so that was kind of the first time I put together, I wanted to do like an all acoustic, um, like rock band. Um, and actually I'm going to show another thing here. I love the, the show and tell it. Yeah. So <laughs> this album right here, um, strip cycle by Mike Knott was, um, probably like my, uh, most influential, one of my most influential albums growing up. Um, so Mike Knott was a, well, he's still alive, but, um, he doesn't do music anymore. Uh, he was a singer songwriter from California and he was like in like this underground Christian music scene, you know, in the nineties and he put out a ton of music. Um, but he also struggled, struggled with alcohol and had all kinds of problems later in that decade, um, kind of led to the falling apart of his, um, his music career. But this album we put out, um, and it's all acoustic and it heavily features cello. And I I loved it so much. And I was like, I got to, like figure out how to do something like that. Um, so yeah. So as I was putting together, um, people who played different instruments, um, I, I'm going to do another thing. here. So this album, Jeremy Enix, return of the frog queen, um, was, uh, you know, he was lead singer of sunny day real estate. Look at him. He's like so young. He's got so much hair in this picture. Um, if you've seen him play lately, but um, this album is, was like blow, blew my mind when I heard it, it came out, I think in 96 um, and it's completely orchestral. Um, it's really, it's a short album, but it's just so beautiful. Um, and, and, you know, his, his vocals are like, he does a lot of like yelling and screaming, I guess you could say, um, but just like real intense emotional vocals. And then accompanied with like these like swelling strings and piano parts and stuff like that. Uh, and so again, like as I'm like building in my mind, um, this like music style that I want to someday write in, um, these albums were like huge in that. And then trying to figure out, okay, who do I know that can play things? Um, and then, you know, I had Emily that I met and Kara, um, my ex-wife, Jessica played piano. So she was in the band as well. And so like right there, there's like three classically trained people in the band. Uh, and then, uh, Jesse Gildenvand, who I still play with, um, he, I don't even remember how we met, but it was probably like, you know, it was on, on campus <laughs> in Oshkosh. Steve said, uh, on your Bandcamp page that Steve, or Jesse said that Steve is one of the hottest folk music hipsters he knows. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he says a lot of funny things like that. Um, yeah, gosh, that guy like, um, and and he he and I had we had like similar uh, childhoods, kind of growing up in like very church centric families, and listened to a lot of the same bands. Um, so he played electric guitar in this style that was. Um, it was just like amazing and that I love so much, you know, it's like very ambient and strange. And, um, so when I found out that he, you know, had some of the same like musical background as I did, I was like, Hey, do you want to join this band? We're like, there's a ton of people in it already, but I'm sure we could make it work. Um, so yeah. And then at one point we even had a violin player on top of all that. So I think we had like eight people at one point at, at maybe it was maybe one of our last shows that we did that. Um, and it was always a mess because we, I didn't have any money. I mean, I was like, I was in my 20, I was in like my early mid twenties at the time, but I was already graduated. I already had one kid, maybe two, uh, while we were, yeah, while, while we were playing, um, and just trying to make ends meet, you know, so I didn't, we didn't have a lot of money for gear and stuff and you know how it's it's really hard to control live sound when you've got all these acoustic instruments plus electric guitar plus a drum kit ba- you know uh, electric bass um so that that was the inkwell collective and we played around uh in the area for you know maybe close to a decade um and um so that was like the like the early 2000s and uh, and actually brought I was going to try to dig through and find uh a bunch of posters and stuff, but I could only find one. It's not necessarily related to the Inkwell Collective, but this is like around that same time. This is a poster from 2006 for a bunch of um, 
a bunch of uh, people playing music together in 2006 at the New Moon. Um, so it was Andrew Johnson is Holly and Plastic. Stephanie Ott is the Daffodil Mafia. Chris Kruger is Southerly. And Steve Baker is Inkstained. That was like my solo uh, acoustic music um, name. Um, so, you know, it was like a lot of like really interesting, cool people doing interesting, cool things at the time, uh, which was really great. You know, for some reason, we all kind of had similar ideas of like acoustic music, singer songwriter style music, but um, like different enough that it all it all worked pr- pretty well. So the the Ashkash music scene in the early 2000s, was it a, a pretty bustling scene at that point? <laughs> It felt like it to me. It felt like there was a lot of, yeah, like there was a lot going on, you know, and even though this is, I mean, this, and this is a general complaint that I'm going to throw out there for the entire state of Wisconsin. There's just not enough good venues. Um, and Oshkosh certainly like, you know, there were places to play, but like there was really nowhere that had like a dedicated stage and, you know, like a sound person or, you know, anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we would cobble things together and like we'd go to coffee shops and try to fit, you know, five to seven people on a stage and stuff like that. And, and we probably know. had the, the new moon back in that. Yeah. Time. Yeah. We played at the new moon quite, quite a bit. There's like a five one three or it's called five one three. I think it was like a dance club or something. It's on Main Street. I don't remember that one. It's definitely not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and we, I mean, we we did a show at um, at the Reptile Palace. I think we only played there one time, um, which is really interesting. And this guy came to one of my shows in Madison like a month ago, and he's like, "Oh, I saw you guys play there. I saw the Inkwell Collective play at the Reptile Palace, and I, you, I thought you guys were awesome, and I wanted to come and see what you were doing twenty years later." And it was interesting because it was still me and Emily playing, and you know, we still have. There's maybe only one Inkwell Collective song still in the set list, but, um, but yeah, it was really, it was cool. I mean, it was mainly like meeting all the different musicians and stuff and like playing, uh, playing with people and and talking with people. Um, but I mean, unfortunately by that time, like at, at one point I remember, um, like when I, when I first met Jeff Mitchell, um, I was, we were living in uh, an apartment on Jefferson street and he lived in an apartment across the street from us. And a friend of mine and I were like out on our porch playing, you know, I was playing banjo and he was playing mandolin or something like that. And, you know, Jeff Mitchell's like a multi-instrumentalist and he's like, Hey, you guys play folk music too. Let me go get something and come right back and jam with you guys. Um, so that was really cool. But I mean, those kind of opportunities kind of got few and far between when I like moved to Fond du Lac and started having a lot of children and like, you know, just kind of getting on with like adult, adult life. Um, but I still, you know, I still kept doing music. Um, so, I mean, I've been fortunate in that in my life that I've been able to pretty much do that nonstop, you know, and like moved quite a few times since then, um, well, and t- taken breaks. But you just mentioned Fond du Lac, yeah. you were part of the, the Fondy acoustic <laughs> music Alliance. Yeah. Can you, can you tell true. me a little bit about that? Like oh, what, gosh. what did the Fondy, <laughs> the Fondy music oh. Alliance entail? Okay. And so I don't have any visual aids for that one, but, um, that, that was really interesting. It was like, so again, I was like, I was in my like early to mid twenties and, you know, I had all these ideas in my head about like, what, what, what is music going to be? Like how, how, um, what, what are the possibilities for music for singer songwriters? What is folk music? I had all these very specific Maybe not specific, but I I had some ideas that were different than what a lot of the like the older generation had. Um, you know, when I again like I I grew up in like the eighties and nineties, but I didn't really listen to any popular music until like probably my senior year in high school because we weren't allowed to listen to secular music in our house. Um, so I just didn't I just never had anything like that. So I didn't I didn't grow up with like a vocabulary of popular music that m- most people do. So like, I didn't know, I didn't listen to Bob Dylan. I didn't listen to the Beatles until I was in my twenties. I didn't even really know, you know, any of that stuff. Um, so the Fondy Acoustic Music Alliance was, uh, some older guys who were like folk music people, you know, and they were like really into the folk scene and like traveling, like the regional singer songwriters traveling around. 
Um, so there's a space in Fond du Lac. It's called the Thelma now. It's like their art center. Um, and it used to be just like a, um, uh, a Masonic temple that was just like available for rental. And you, it had like a really beautiful stage area on the second floor. Is that right by the, the library? Yeah, it's across the street from the library down there. Um, so FAMA, as they were called, <laughs> um, did uh, they would do like fundraising throughout the year. And then they would put out a um, like a series of um, like singer songwriter events. Um, that was actually really cool. I mean, they and I can't remember all the different artists that they had, but um, but it was it was the first time that I had been involved in um, like the adult music scene where it wasn't like a bunch of people like playing in bars and like, you know, standing outside smoking cigarettes and, you know, talking about guitar pedals and stuff. It was like no, like we can, they're singer songwriters and, um, you know, they were, they were all folk musicians. So it was for them, it was a lot like, okay, we're going to rip out this mandolin solo. Now it's your turn to do a solo. And I would just be like, I'm just like a, I'm more of a singer. I don't really do solos. So unfortunately I never really learned how to like master that aspect of it. But, um, so they, that was a group that was already established and I kind of like came in in their later years as like the young, the to like token young guy who was like trying to throw out some new ideas and like, Hey, you know, how about we get these people in? And they're just like, no, no one's ever heard of that. And, um, when I talked them into having, um, Dr. Kickbutt in the orchestra of death <laughs> come and play, <laughs> um, one of the guys, uh, resigned on the, from the board. He's like, I'm not going to have my name associated with a band called the orchestra of death. <laughs> so he just left that that was it and then i so you know i um i felt a little bad about that but i also felt like no like folk music is more than just you know you playing the standards all the time and everybody taking a solo it's like you know it's like people it's like like lived and breathed experience that has you know turned turned into song you know and i um when i was at uw oshkosh uh, I worked at the radio station there and I had a show, um, a radio show called, um, uh, this has a name that I can't remember now because was... there's all these cameras on me and all these lights. <laughs> but anyway, that's not important. The important thing is that it was a radio show that I put on from. It was a, a acoustic radio show. It is. It was an all acoustic. That was in theory. It was an all acoustic radio show. Um, and it was from like midnight. <laughs> It was midnight to 2 a.m. on a Saturday, which is like the absolute worst time for a student acoustic radio show. Um, maybe. I don't know. Well, if you're at a party and you're like, let's get this party rocking. Right. Well, let's, the acoustic radio show's yeah, on. Let's turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> I hear they play Lead Belly every week. Turn it up. Um, so, yeah. That, so, but that that was kind of like my, uh, the, the first time that I had experienced like like actual authentic folk music and um like i would you know go through the all their cds and stuff back in the in the in the studio and just try to find stuff and i was introduced to all kinds of artists um uh i think uh gillian welsh was um i heard her on a on a compilation at the time um her song my my morphine which like when i when i heard that song i was just like i was blown away you know it was just kind of like on the same level as like listening to return of the frog queen you know i was just like wow somebody can write a song like this and play it like this and it's just so beautiful and sparse and like painful but it's like you know but it's also it's also real you know it's not you're not it's not like a cover of someone else's song which covers are fine i'm just not good at them but um it was just it was pretty incredible experience um learning about folk music that way um so but it was a little different than some of the other people there I want to get back to that, uh, your experience no, at the radio. Right. But first, uh, you mentioned covers. Uh, Greg Schiller is always on you about not your Gosh. stepping stone. So what, what what's up with that? I know you said in a response that you've only covered like six songs your whole life. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> when 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 we were doing the Inkwell Collective, this uh, this young guy came to play violin with us, and he was like a violin prodigy, um, and he was like he wanted to play covers and he wanted to, he, he wanted to be in like a jam band, you know, which is cool. But I was like, we have two rules here. We don't ever play covers and nobody gets a solo, <laughs> which is horrible. There, there's, those are terrible rules, everybody for like building musical camaraderie with people. 
Um, but I was kind of like a singer songwriter tyrant at the time. And I was like, no, this is here. I'll, I'll whistle you. I would like whistle all, all of Emily's parts for her to play on the cello because I didn't, I don't know how to write music. So I would just like whistle them for her and be like, okay, this is your part. And then you got to play it there and play it there. Anyway, it, um, it works. It works. Okay. If you're kind, but you know, if you're a jerk, which I'm not saying I'm a jerk, but you could definitely, I could definitely be a jerk, but yeah. So I, uh, yeah, so like I was saying, the, the reason I started playing guitar was because I wanted to write my own songs. And so I just never bothered to learn anyone else's songs. Um, when I was at Grace Bible College, which is where I met Greg Schiller, um, <laughs> which is funny because I've like not talked to him in like 20 years. And it's just like he's this Facebook friend that pops up every once in a while. Hi, Greg, if you're watching or listening. But um, yeah, I used to play, I had that in my set. Um, uh, and I think it, I would go, like go into about a girl by Nirvana because they had like similar chord progressions. Um, but yeah, that was just one of the songs that I did. I don't know because I think when I was, uh, when, when my brother and I were, were young, young people, uh, in my house, we would wake up early, like six in the morning and the monkeys TV show was on at like six in the morning on like channel 18 or something like that. You know, one of these UHF stations and we turned the TV on real low cause we didn't want our parents to know we were listening, watching a show about rock music. And, uh, <clears throat> so the monkeys were actually like an early influence of mine, like for, you know, whatever that means. But that, that song, I was just like, yeah, this is an easy song to play and it kind of rocks and I can yell at the end. Uh, but I had like, you know, there was like a Johnny Cash song that I did and, um, there was nobody like real popular. And that's the problem is that because I didn't listen to a lot of like real familiar music that like me saying, I'm going to do a Damien Gerardo cover. Like some people might know that it's a Damien Gerardo cover. Most people will have never heard the song before, you know? So, um, so that's why I just never, I just never put any covers in my repertoire. Greg won't let you forget though that you once. I did. guess not. I forgot <laughs> completely. So that's that's nice that somebody remembers that. Hopefully fondly. So when you were doing the the radio show at UW Oshkosh, you would go up to the was it the fourth floor or the fifth floor? It was somewhere up there. Yeah. Were you normally yeah. by yourself up there, or did you have somebody that worked with you? I did. Yeah, I had a co-host. Um, her name was Natalie. I don't remember her last name. Um, she was the radio TV film major, so I was an English major, and she was like, "I'm supposed to do a radio show. I don't know anything about music. I don't know anything about radio. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember why she was a radio TV film major, but um, I, I worked with her at the, at the university bookstore. Um, so I was like, "Hey, I'll do. It. I'll help you out." And she's like, okay, well, what what kind of show do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I just like acoustic music or whatever. And so um, I was Acoustic Steve. She was called Pick, like after a guitar pick. Uh, the show was called No Electricity. And I spent a lot of time making posters and putting them up all around campus uh, that I thought were really clever. I was like, people are going to not, they're not even going to be able to resist listening to the show because these posters are so great you know it was like picture of pe people playing badminton with just the words no electricity on it you know because that's that's not you know badminton is a non-electric sport uh unlike most sports um so yeah so she was there most of the time sometimes she wouldn't show up <laughs> but i was always there I'm like, I got to hit my midnight to 2 a.m. And it was a call. We, people could call in, too. Uh, one time somebody called in and asked us to play Desolation Row by Bob Dylan. And I was like, OK, well, we have like 30 minutes left in the <laughs> in the show. So here's the last song. <laughs> that was that was easy. Um, and and later, later on, I've got another picture of this. Um, we actually this is after I graduated, maybe a year or two. Um, we actually got to go up and play live on WRST. So here's a here's a shot of uh, Emily and Kara playing. And um, so this is like a time the Inkwell Collective was constantly struggling with drummers because what drummer wants to play with you know a bunch of string players? Uh, I mean, maybe a drummer, but um, my friend John Olshevi, who was like kind of part of the um, Fond du Lac music scene at the time, um, he. Uh, he played drums with us for uh, for a while uh and then he was like no I'm, i really want to be in a prog rock band so then he left um namaya tribolini played drums with us he's on uh, our 
EP here, uh, which is called National Bellwether. It's the Inkwell Collective EP that we recorded with uh, Jeremiah Nelson in a, probably a, an illegal basement studio you know, somewhere in Oshkosh. Um, and so, yeah, we were, it was like a constant revolving door of different drummers. Um, so at the time, we didn't have a drummer. So a bunch of us just crammed into the studio at WRST. I think there were six of us in there sitting all around the room with, you know, just like whatever mics they could scrounge up and played a bunch of songs. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. Obviously still have a copy of that somewhere. I do. I have got, I've got it probably on like an old MacBook that barely runs. So I, <laughs> I would love to, I would love to get that up on the internet at some point. Cause it's, I know it's got some really cool songs and, and Jesse played with us that, that time he was, he was another one that was like always very supportive of us. And he like, in fact, I'm going to go over and hang out with him later today. But, um, uh, and he still plays with me from time to time. Uh, he's on the new, he's on the new EP. Um, but he would always be like, no, nah, I can't really make practice. No, nah, I can't really make that show. And then every once in a while he'd be like, oh yeah, I'll be there. And we're like, well, we're playing at a coffee shop in Sheboygan. I don't know if there's enough room or if they have like space for electric guitar. He's like, oh, that's fine. I'll just bring my small amp. So, you know, then he would come and then everything would, would completely change the mood of the music, which, you know, like when we were on, I feel like it was really, really great, um, and we we did a lot of really cool music. But you know, it, again, it could be tricky to balance like all the different different types of instruments and stuff. So, this question it's kind of interesting because it it kind of includes music and kind of books and stuff. So you're obviously very like embedded with libraries, true reading. You're writer, <laughs> all that stuff. So you've got the internet right now, and people Uh-oh. are. <laughs> People are putting stuff online, like stuff like this, CDs, everything, and kind of thinking that it's going to last forever up there. It's on the internet. Mm. It's going to be up there forever. But I think you and I are of an age now where we're seeing stuff that was on the internet 20 years ago that's all of a sudden gone. It's like, okay, well, this platform is gone. This platform, you know, do you think that people are going to eventually kind of go back to like a library or, or people are going to end up kind of wanting more of a physical wow. media at some point, or do you think it's that's always, a, that's a be, very triggering question. Do you think people are going to go back to a library? Or do you think it's always going to be disposable like this, throw it online and then it disappears. And then, I mean, you know, all it, all it's going to take is one EMP from the, from the sun and the, the entire <laughs> web goes down. And then where's your TikTok kids? Um, no, I mean, I think, I think each generation is going to do their own thing. You know, like we were, uh, we, you know, people who grew up in the era just before the internet and then like it became big. I mean, like we're like the driving force behind the abomination of like Facebook and, and, and social media, you know, and we're like living in those worlds and that's all very temporary. Like we're, we're we got excited about all that stuff cause it was new with new technology. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think eventually people are going to come back around to other things. And I mean, it's already started, you know, there's, there's tape labels and there's vinyl labels and, you know, records outsold everything, uh, for the past three years. Um, even though, uh, only half of the people who buy records have record players, which I think is interesting. <laughs> uh, other people, people just buy them because they like, they like to have the object, you know? And I think that's a, that's a result of you know the kind of a, a backlash to the, like this all digital environment that we're in um and i think as much as people enjoy like having everything on their phone which i do too i mean i've got you know i've got a spotify and it's amazing every time a new album comes out i can listen to it i can listen to anything i want from anywhere uh, almost um but uh but yeah i mean the downside to that of course is that you lose all that early stuff um and especially like the stuff from the early days of the internet like when i first started playing out and and doing stuff like nobody had digital cameras or a few people might have um and i like here's a here's a picture <laughs> okay so here's a picture of me and emily playing at the new moon in like maybe 2000 two or three and this was um taken on a digital camera of a that a friend of mine had so it actually actually turned out pretty well but i mean we weren't playing we weren't playing that fast it's just like really blurry because it's a digital camera uh from the early era um and here's a picture of me playing with the original like acoustic trio Uh, and this is this was a done on a film camera um 
so yeah, I mean, I've got all these pictures of like various early bands that I played in and it's all on like film camera stuff. And, you know, like we never did videos because you had to find somebody that had all this video gear and stuff and how it's just so easy to do that, which is really cool. I mean, it, it creates more opportunities for more people. And so it's, it's really awesome. Um, but yeah, unfortunately a lot of that early stuff, like I'm sort of just getting back into music, like, I mean, I've put out digital music in the past decade, but this is kind of like my first big like project that is actually put out on CD. Uh, and, you know, we kind of struggled like, okay, are we really going to put out a CD? But more people I talk to about music, like people who really love music and really want to support bands, they just want to buy the CD or tape or like whatever it is you put out. They want to buy that. They want to buy the merch uh, because they're supportive, you know, so um i think i lost my train of thought <laughs> so it's libraries and and libraries you know. rule so that's the the new ep right there i'm gonna i'm gonna open it up this is a fresh copy right here so that plastic ripping off i love that that smell on a, a new cd too yeah. i always sniff them when oh, i open them open it up here for the asmr people listen to that okay that's, that's you couldn't hear that but that's all right here's the Here's the CD. It's a compact disc. You put it in your compact disc player and or your 1994 Pontiac. There's the CD. Anyway, yeah, let's That's talk nice. about it. <laughs> yeah, so you were approached by another Steve, Steve McCabe, <laughs> who yeah. saw you somewhere. And I'll kind of let you tell the story, but he, sure. he invited you up to his big garage studios in, yeah. in Oshkosh. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've known Steve for a really long time. Um, we were, we were, uh, English majors together at UW Oshkosh in the late nineties. And, um, you know, I've been following his different music projects since then. And, uh, yeah, like, I guess it was in, I guess maybe 2019, 20, 2019, 2020, 2019, we'll say, uh, that he, um, yeah, he's like, Hey, I'm putting the studio together trying to find, you know, bands that might want to have something to record. And, uh, at the time I had, I had moved, uh, fairly recently to, uh, to the Madison area and I hadn't been doing music for a while because everyone, most of my other collaborators are not, well, zero of my collaborators are in the Madison area. So, um, so I, I just, I just felt like, well, maybe, maybe my time has passed. I'm kind of going to be done, but I'm still writing songs. So when I, when I heard, um, when Steve approached me about, recording something in his new studio i was like yeah i got a good i got a song for you so um i called up a couple friends uh emily uh on cello and derek on drums uh and um we went up there and uh and uh, jesse happened to be available as well so that was awesome so the four of us met up there at the studio and we recorded the song irises um so yeah it was it was a really great experience it was a lot of fun and then you know as we you know, COVID happened after that. I think I'm getting the right order. Um, but then when that was over, then I was like, Hey, I've got more songs, you know, do you ever want to record even more music up there with you? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So yeah. So then we started, um, recording the EP in 2022. I want to say we had like five, five more songs ready. So it was interesting because your Bandcamp page is really good, by the way. For and, and since you're a writer, you can tell you've got a, a website which is a wealth of information. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's nice because you go into to each song, and I thought it was interesting because you were kind of doing a lot of these songs came about from a, a songwriting group you were in. True. Called I don't. I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Go ahead. Or, or, or Torgas. That's that's close. Okay. So um, I got a picture here. This is not of the Ortugas, but this is, uh, so yeah. So in like 2010, 2011, um, I was living in, um, Kewaskum, Wisconsin, which is a very small town. And, uh, I started seeing this guy at this coffee shop in town. I would walk to the coffee shop. I was the library director there. And so I worked at the library at my lunch break. I'd walk to the local coffee shop and have lunch. I kept seeing this hipster guy there and I was like, there's another hipster in town. Uh, how is that possible? So, um, 
I, at some point we started talking and um, my, now he's one of my best friends, Charles. Um, and he's like, hey, I'm part of this group called Mead Lakes Most Wanted. I'm like, never heard of them. And he's like, that's okay. Uh, no one has. We are a writer's group. They started meeting in West Bend at a, at a bar. And they would bring their typewriters into the bar and like type poems, which is very like annoying probably to most of the people there. But um, And then they're like, but now we're going to actually be musicians. We've decided to, to transition from writing poems to writing songs. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm a retired poet who is currently writing songs. Uh, so then, you know, like we just like hit it off. And so he invited me up to their, their retreat, which is at one of the friends cabins, uh, up North. And, um, so this is, uh, this is a photo. This is a picture of Mead Lake's most wanted, uh, from a few years back. And so we go up to this cabin a couple times a year and, um, basically just like sit around, chain smoke, uh, talk about life. And, um, most of the time though, we're, we're doing music. And so, um, these guys are awesome. Uh, they had a spreadsheet when I, when I got there and they were like, here's where we want to be in three years. Here's where we want to be in five years. And they had like, we're going to record an album. We're going to do this. We're going to play this many shows. We're going to do this and that. I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, they, they had never done anything like that before. And so they looked to me as like the experienced person who'd been, you know, like playing in failed bands his whole adult life. And I was like, that's, that's a, an ambitious, um, you know, you've got a spreadsheet with all this stuff. And um, so, yeah, so anyway, um, so I started playing with them. Um, we put out a, actually a really cool EP. I should have brought a copy of it with me, but I did not. But um, uh, yeah, they, and we're, we're still, we still play music together, but after they hit that, you know, played, played their five shows and put out their EP, they're done with like playing out. So they're just like, now we just record in the garage studio every, every year. And, um, part of that is a side project of the main group, which is the same people in the main group, but like more drunker in, in a later <laughs> night, uh, where we become the Ortugas. Uh, so what we do is we, we, um, we just brainstorm a bunch of words and phrases and write it on a, on a pizza box. And then, um, at some point in the night, we're like, okay, it's Ortuga's time. We get to the studio. We all go in the garage and everybody chooses two song titles at random. And you've got an hour to write the song and come back and play it for the group. And you run through it a couple times and then everybody puts something down on it. And that's like a real rough demo of whatever that song might be. Um, so that was like a really, it was a really strange process for me who, I mean, I'd always just written songs by myself and, um, never really had anyone else to bounce them off of, or, you know, just whatever, just my process is just writing alone. So writing with a bunch of other people and just having, having to have something immediately, like 45 minutes, everyone's like knocking on doors, be like, come on out, out back out to the garage and, and play your song. And, so that's where like half of the songs on the EP were the result of, of those sessions. Um, and a lot of my new, a lot of my new music too, is it's the same thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a really cool process because it forces you to like get in this writing space, you know, even if you're, you know, slight, it's like late at night and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a weird thing. Did they change up like the, the things? Because I know the pharmacist, it was, well, that's, was a title one of the titles and then another thing was like a almost like the topic of the song was kind of the the thing you were working on i don't remember if it was bread and bones or yeah one of those but um yes yeah, so, i mean those are all from different sessions and in different years so um yeah i mean like i don't remember what the one was for the pharmacist but i mean i just got the words the pharmacist now you go write a song um and so yeah like with that one and and you know it also like you play the acoustic guitar like I do and you know, you've got a capo and you've got a bunch of chords and that's about it. You know, you can just move things up and down. And so I tried to experiment a little more with, you know, different chord forms and stuff like that. Um, uh, I don't know if it's like completely su su successful on that, but um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And so when, when you brought these songs to, to uh, Steve McCabe, yeah. like when you went back there the second time, I mean, obviously, at that point, you guys knew that there was enough here for an EP. Yeah. And that, um, did the goal all of a sudden become, well, let's, we're doing a full EP yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, and he kept, he kept 
gently prodding me like you've got to have more songs right you've got there's got to be like some more in there let's let's do it let's do a full album and i'm like uh the way the like the way my songwriting process has always worked has been like um you know i'll write you know five half dozen songs every year and and out of those i i know that that's just the process and only one or two of those are going to be actually good songs that I'm ever going to want to revisit again or like record seriously or, or put in a set list. The other three or four are just like part of the process of getting to those good songs. Um, so that's kind of like a lot of like, you know, me coming in with I'm saying I have six good songs. I don't want to have any filler on the album. I'm never, yeah, I've got like four other what I would consider B sides, but I don't want to, I don't want to record those. So yeah, we got six six good songs, and let's let's do them let's do them right. So they all six songs are are really good. Like at the first listen, it was enjoyable. Then I kept every listen that I'd go back to, I enjoyed more. You had um, Dean and Nate play bass yeah. on, on this, which I think was it kind of cool to hear. Like I don't know if, if Dean and Nate were people that uh, Steve brought in, but it. it each instrument as it was being added, did it kind of change the dynamic of the song and just kind of totally change it? Cause I, I Dean's bass on the, on the, the pharmacist. I, I really enjoyed it. In fact, I reached out to him too and said, oh. I'm lis- listening to listening to the all joy EP and that, that bass is, is really good on that. And then of course you can hear it with uh, Nate's stand up bass. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really changes. Like at least yeah. in my opinion must change the dynamic of the song is, is you wrote it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's a little tricky because I, you know, the way that I envision the songs, I mean, I, I always, I u- almost always hear a cello part, uh, just cause I'm so used to listening for that, like as I'm writing. Um, and then Derek is a sort of an, an intuitive drummer who just kind of like does his own, like his own thing. Um, that, you know, we just like click really well together as far as our personality goes. But the other stuff I was just like, well, yeah, I don't know. You know, like Jesse, can you come in and do your thing? And, and, uh, you know, I didn't really have any ideas for the for the bass parts necessarily. Um, so yeah, I mean, we we recorded the the three of us just recorded everything live, um, and then I think we just like dropped out my scratch vocals and guitar, and then I recorded another guitar on top of that. But and then everyone else would come in later into the studio and just kind of put something new down. Um, and yeah, I mean, it changes it, but um, yeah, I mean. Were you there when they added the? Bass? Yeah, I was there. I was there when they when they did that. Um, and and I, I mean, I love what they do, and I think it was really cool that they were willing to do that. Um, and uh, gosh, I mean, it really makes me think, man, bass players are so underrated. <laughs> just because, like, listening to the songs before the bass was added, and then after the bass, and I'm just like, yeah, now they sound like real songs, you know. And it's like it's weird that you don't. At least I don't. I'm sorry, bass players of the world. Um, you know, like when I'm writing a song on the acoustic guitar, I'm like, oh, here's the song. You got chords. You got a singer. What more do you need? Um, and, you know, I, I originally had envisioned this as being a little more more minimal. Is that a, that's that a phrase? Uh, as being like a minimal project as opposed to like the Inkwell Collective, which is a little more maximal. But, of course, as we ended up here, I mean, it's all kind of the same noisy stuff as, as what I had done in the past. Um, just, you know, better, better songs, better production values. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the bass totally changed how things felt. Well, you added also piano and you're playing banjo on one of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if I could show one more, actually I'm going to show two more, two more of my images here. So this album here, the albums that changed my life, uh, 16 horsepower put out this album low estate in 1996 um they were a band from denver and uh um the lead singer david eugene edwards plays uh banjo on the majority of the songs and that was the first time that i'd ever heard like uh alternative country music or you know gothic country whatever you want to call it and, uh, and it, again mind mind-blowing album if you listen to that uh and then this danielson family um, put out this album in the late nineties and this is like a freak folk type album, um, with banjo on it. And this is the first thing that I actually heard banjo in like contemporary, you know, alternative music. And it's actually, uh, Sufjan Stevens plays banjo on it. And, um, 
So that was when I went out and bought a banjo after I heard this Danielson family album. I was like, I'm going to learn how to play banjo because that seems like it would be a cool thing to do. Um, I never really like learned how to play like a banjo style. So I kind of play it like a guitar, but, uh, but again, it's like a really good, um, as a, as a songwriter, you want to, you know, switch up what you're doing. And I mean, there's kind of limited with, with your tools, unless you pick up another instrument and try that. Um, so yeah, the song Iris is, um, I wrote on a guitar originally, but then, um, I was, I switched it over to banjo and it just felt so much better. Well, totally. Just like with adding bass, I mean, switching to banjo totally changes the, the mood of the song. Yeah. And- yeah. Is that something like if, if you played this EP out live a lot? I know you've got some yeah. shows coming up, and yeah, you've done yeah, a few. we've been we we've been playing it live uh, a few times, and like that that's the only banjo song in our set list right now. Uh, but I have I have a handful of other songs that I've written on banjo. Working with Steve McCabe, did what did Steve bring to this to this EP? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like honestly, the big thing was having someone that I really trusted because I mean, I'm such a fan of his music, um, especially the first Redshift Headlights album. Like I listened to that constantly when I like I was I was hashtag blessed enough to go see like the big album release show that that they did at their studio um, with like his full like everybody doing everything. And it was just was that so you cool. sitting on the floor in the front. That was me sitting on the floor yeah. in the front. <laughs> um yeah, and uh, you know, I, like I said, I've been a big fan of his music for a long time, and um, just having someone that I I knew and trusted um, as a writer and as a musician, and like at at first I thought, well, it would be cool if maybe he could add like a bunch of weird stuff, like the stuff that he does, he could add it to it. But then, like as we were in the studio, that that really wasn't his vibe. You know, he was just like, I want to. I mean, you know, he's a he's really into the gear. He's really into the the. <laughs> boards and the switches and the wheels and knobs. Um, and so that, that was more like his thing. Like, okay, how can we, we, let's use a different mic on this. Let's use a different amp here. Try to make this sound, sound better. Uh, you know, how much reverb do you want in this? Like that, that kind of thing. So it was, it was more hands off as far as, um, like production go. I mean, it depends on how you define that, but, um, it was more like engineering mixing. Um, and then when we got into, like mixing the songs, um, like the song Bread and Bones was like, I had always pictured it a certain way in my head, which was, I mean, it's probably like, it's like, like probably the quietest song on the album. Um, and I wanted to really bring like the upright bass forward on that. I, I just love the sound of the upright bass. Uh, I, I really wish that I had like a full-time upright bass player in my band. Cause it's just such a cool versatile instrument. Um, uh, so I really wanted to bring that forward and, you know, I wanted, I wanted it to feel like really acoustic. Um, so like that song, you know, when we were, when we were working on it in the studio, it went through some iterations where it was like, where it was less that, you know, it was a little more like, well, maybe leave the electric guitar scratch track in and, you know, it's like more stuff going on. But then as we started pulling things back, you know, Steve would send me new mixes and got, got it to where it sounds really awesome. Yeah, do you have a, a favorite track out of all these? Oh, okay. I know, I know so the look at them here. Get Clean is, uh, I mean, it, it, that it sounds like there's a lot in that song. Oh, a lot gosh. of a lot of words. How much time do we have? Sounds like the oh, story. Oh, we only have three minutes. Yeah, we go a little over. <laughs> so the, the story, the stories in Get Clean. It sounds like, I mean, that must be a song that you wanted to get lyrically, kind of right because yeah. you're almost like writing. Again, you're writing, you're sort of writing history. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so, right, like, yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, I I guess probably, like, sonically, No Sin is probably my favorite song on the album um, because it's got a lot of the, like, dynamics and stuff that, that I really enjoy listening to, and it's got a really good uh, violin solo from my friend Rachel, um, who's a retired violinist. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Get Clean was one of those songs that I was like, I knew I wanted to write a song. It's, it's kind of about the life of my great grandfather. Um, and, uh, there's, there's a lot too. There's a, there's a long backstory that we don't have time for now, but, um, but yeah, I, I really let's, wanted to get that one. Let's, right. Let's make time. Oh, <laughs> let's make some time. <laughs> this is like, um, this is like, this is like, like MCU stuff here. 
because they're like making time, like the different timeline. I don't know. It was a pop culture joke. Um, yeah. So my great grandfather um, was, uh, was a young man during the, like the end of the great depression, the beginning of like prohibition era. And uh, his, uh, his mom had just died. Him, he, he and his younger brother and his dad moved to Cicero, Illinois, and he, from all accounts, hated his stepmother. Didn't enjoy living there. So, as soon as he turned eighteen, he he left home and he went and joined uh, Carson and Barnes Circus, where he worked as a roustabout. And uh, he got on the train in Chicago or in that area somewhere, uh, and traveled um, up and down the u.s this is again during prohibition where it turns out uh there was a lot of smuggling going on uh, of, of uh, illicit liquor on circus trains because they could they could cross over into canada and do these shows and then they could come back and they wouldn't always get um get found out um and and you know nobody knows because the family history is is murky um nobody knows what happened exactly but when he when he came back to cicero later that year he ended up working with al capone's gang um as like an enforcer or something like that it's again it's it's a tricky thing because what happens next in his story is that um a a street preacher um who i guess he had like a it was like his his goal to like save young men who were like caught up in all this crime because of because of prohibition um, so he would just like hang out outside of, uh, like pool halls and stuff. And he would like pull young men over and be like, Jesus loves you. Don't, you know, whatever. And so he got, he got my great grandpa and he, I don't know what was said. I don't know what happened, but he talked to him, talked to him. And, and the story goes that my great grandpa went to church and he put his gun and a bottle of liquor and his deck of cards up on the altar, gave his life to Jesus. And, uh, it's sort of like it sort of like changed the trajectory of like my entire family and my life and my parents and everyone in my family um just because that became then like our our lives you know and our like um legacy to bear that like come to jesus moment in to in perpetuity <laughs> um so but the song get clean uh, so later in his life, um, he spends he spends then the, the rest of his life as a as a preacher in like small churches in in Michigan and uh, in Illinois. Um, and as he gets older, he comes to believe that there's no hell. Like the punishments of hell is more of a like a figure of speech or something. And and again, this is all stuff that. Um, it's like it's like a shame it's like shame in in the family you know because then his his son my my grandpa who was a pastor in Madison um you know he he was just like my dad you know fell into apostasy because he believed that you know god loved everyone and that everyone would would get saved eventually and 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 go to heaven or you know whatever it was um and so that's what the song get clean is sort of about those ideas you know and um I mean, obviously, you know, maybe it's like hitting you over the head with an idea. I don't know. Um, but, you know, the, the idea is, you know, having this this epiphany that everyone, you know, we have this this moment where you realize that, um, oh, gosh, I don't want to say like too much about it because it's, it's uh, you know, I feel like I want everyone to have their own their own ideas about it. But um, it's a it's a positive sentiment about um you know, believing that, that doing, doing things in your life now are, are what's important. And, um, and I mean, same with the song, no sin. Um, it's, it's not, you know, I'm not like saying that I reject all religion and it's all wrong and bad. Um, but just that there's like other choices than just like, you know, telling your five-year-old that they're going to die and burn in hell which is kind of a traumatic thing to say to a little kid, um, you know, and there's, there's other options out there. So anyway, um, yeah, that's what that song is sort of about <laughs> and it, emotionally. What, what uh, made you decide to end the EP with that song? Um, yeah, I just, I wanted to have like sort of an arc like musically. Um, and that one is like a, 
you know, I mean, I tend to write like, you know, these like mid mid tempo mopey rocker songs. And then these like, you know, six, eight, you know, folk punk songs. And so I was like, well, let's, let's end it on a high point. Uh, and originally I wanted to have like trumpets and stuff in the ending. Um, that didn't, didn't quite get trumpets in there, but, uh, yeah, I just thought it'd be a good, good ending to the, to the thing. And you, you played Mile of Music. Were you there this year or the previous ones? Um, it was, it was either eight or nine. I don't remember. It was the one that was right after COVID. So it was in 2021 that we played there. And if you were playing, let's say Mile of Music was right now and you were hitting the stage or you were yeah. seeing somebody out on the sidewalk, how would you sell the CD? Oh gosh. How would you sell, how would you explain yourself and the music on the CD? That, it's that's, like a dreaded elevator pitch. Yeah, no, that that's, <laughs> it's, it's hard because I don't know what my music sounds like. I mean, it's like, you know, like I, I vacillate between, <laughs> between saying like folk punk, which it's not really, but I feel like that's kind of like my, that's like my mindset, like play the acoustic guitar loud and, and yell, um, you know, be emotional. Um, but then also like, it definitely has like, kind of like this mid Midwest indie rock vibe to it that, that I know a lot of stuff from this area does. I mean, we were talking earlier off mic and you were like, Oh, this sounds kind of like stuff that Steve does. And, um, and I was saying that, you know, we had a bunch of like ex Oshkosh people had met up for a show in Madison and we were talking about that and we're like, Oh yeah, you can definitely hear like the Oshkosh sound in some of this music. And I was like, is there, is there an Oshkosh sound? You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is. So that's what I would be like. Hey, you like the Oshkosh sound? This CD is rife with it. Well, it's bad pitch. How is the, the music <laughs> scene different in Madison compared to oh Oshkosh, Appleton, Fond du Lac? Yeah, it's well, yeah, I mean, Mad- Madison's tricky because, um, like, I is would... It, is it hard to, to, to break into the scene down there? Is it pretty clicky? Well, so it is and it isn't. Um, here's my... I, I have a take, which is that, um, you know, Madison is, like, a much more, like, transient-y, like, there's a lot, like, student bands and student music, and it's, like, a lot more, like, youth-oriented. So there's, like, a ton of new bands, you know, and... Um, they'll come out with stuff and they'll play for a while and then they'll move on, you know, whereas like the Fox Valley scene is not really like that. I mean, it's like bands tend to stay here and they, they, they form their, their close friendships and their groups and people come in and out, but you know, they're like, you know, like, like what Dusk is doing. Like they'll, they have like a whole, a whole world of, of music, you know, and their own label and all this stuff that they're doing. Um, Madison, I don't think really has that. Um, but it's pretty vibrant. I mean, there's, unfortunately there's not a lot of like really great venues there. I mean, there's like, there's, there's the big venues that are hard to get into. And then there's like places like the Rigby, which like literally anybody could play at the Rigby, but you've got to do everything then, you know, you've got to provide your own sound. You've got to provide your door person. Um, you got to do all your own marketing. So, I mean, it's cool that, that they offer a space for bands, but, you know, there's no, there, there was a, there was a place that just closed, unfortunately called, um, dark star art bar. Um, and they had, they had like a dedicated stage. They had a sound guy, but it was like a small venue. So it was like, it was absolutely perfect for bands that, you know, they can draw 30 to 50 people. And that's, that's probably tops, you know, and, and like all, most of those venues are gone, you know, like the, the, the frequency, which is really good for that. And then it got, closed down and then this other space barley pop live open and that closed down because it you know i think that was mainly a, a a covid thing but um so yeah so there's not a lot of like great um like uh, official spaces but there are a lot of diy spaces in madison and those cater to like younger bands so <clears throat> like my son is uh in a band called the nile club they're out of milwaukee and, um, like they do a lot of shows with like Shuby and Lunar Moth and a lot of these like younger bands, which is really cool to see all these young musicians, um, playing cool music, but they're all like my kid's age, you know? So it's, it's weird for me to be like, Hey, I got this new EP to, that I'm, that I'm working on or that I want to put out. And like, I look around for musicians that are my age and there's just not a lot in the area, you know, that they're all, everyone has kind of moved on or 
they're playing, you know, like very sporadically or whatever. So it's hard to set up shows. And then I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess I got to do shows with people in their twenties. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's a whole other dynamic of it. That's been interesting, like coming, coming back into trying to support this album and, you know, trying to just keep playing music live, you know, as, as often as I can. Oh, we're getting near the end of the show, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, Justin Perkins and the, the mastering of, of this album. So yeah. Justin Perkins did it at the Mystery Room uh, down in Madison. Yeah, yeah. I, you said you've never met Justin before. I don't think so, no. How do you, how do you feel the, the mastering was on oh this my album? Oh, gosh. This is, this is because he's, <laughs> he's going to be here next week, and you're going to play this back, and he's going to be like, how, how do you feel about Steve Baker? Um the mastering is just impeccable. Yeah, what else can you say? That's no, great. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, like I've been listening to like bands that he masters, and I see his name all the time on records that I love. It's a, the stuff so, like he does everything. It's like yeah. he just did a new Kids on the Block album, and it's like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, I think he he did um, he did Buffalo Nichols' new album, um, which is like one of my top five of of the year. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a really cool, like, range of, you know, pop and indie and, like, self-produced stuff. And, yeah, it's just, it was really cool. And, you know, Steve knows him really well. So it was, like, kind of back and forth between those two guys. And, and Steve was also, like, like, as he was mixing this, he, he was, like, I think I'm going to leave some of that in for Justin to do this or that on. So he was, like, mixing it specifically for Justin's ears, which I thought was kind of a cool thing that maybe not everyone gets to have, gets to have that. Where can people find this EP? Where can people see you perform? Yeah. Um, so this EP is available at any of our uh, live performances. Um, you can also download it on Bandcamp. Um, it's obviously, it's not this form. Uh, it's the digital form. Uh, so, you know, support Bandcamp as long as you can. Hopefully it'll still be around uh, the next couple of years. But um uh, you can stream it on, you know, any of the streaming services, which obviously we all do, you know, I mean, I have Spotify, um, but you know, obviously I'd, I don't get any money from that. Yeah. Uh, it'd be great to like break even on this project, uh, which is to say, uh, our next show coming up is December 1st. We're playing at Mickey's in Madison, kind of like a time honored music bar, um, uh, down on uh, Willie street in Madison. And, um, we're playing with uh, two bands, one band Fangerless. Uh, they're Madison, like, I think they call themselves a, a cowboy punk band. Um, it's like banjo, uh, electric guitar, and fiddle. And then a singer-songwriter from Milwaukee named uh, Dead Dead Swans. Uh, it's just one person, but he's got a long band name. Uh, so that that's going to be a really cool show, and that's going to be a full band show with uh, myself and Emily uh, and Derek. And when we do live shows like that, where all three of us, we go by Steve Baker and Dirt Sermons. And uh, I like it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be cool. Uh, we're going to stay up really late and um, play play loud folk music. And uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, we're trying to set up shows here in the Fox Valley area and hopefully we will we will be around here a bit and uh, hopefully do mile next year and some other things but um yeah that's that's where you can get the cd